Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Please grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We are landing the plane today as we take our walk through the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, when you think about some of the greatest fights, some of the greatest battles of all time, which ones come to mind? Maybe it's Ali versus Frazier. Maybe it's that one, the Thrilla in Manila. Or maybe it's that old school WrestleMania match, right? If you grew up a, a kid in the 1980s like I did, man, WWF, which it was called back then, was huge. Maybe it's that, that WrestleMania Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. <laughs> or maybe you're into mixed martial arts, MMA. So maybe you would point to Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell. Or maybe Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz. Or maybe you turn to the history of Scripture. And you say the greatest battle, in my opinion, is David versus Goliath, or Elijah versus the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Or maybe you would turn to just American history as you think about the biggest battles. You would think about the Axis powers versus the allies in World War II. Or maybe staying in America just completely, you'd think about the, the Union versus the Confederacy in the American Civil War. All of those were big fights. They were all big battles. But what you need to understand as we come into the ending here from 1 Timothy chapter 6 is that none of them, none of those battles compare to the battle for your soul. The fight for your soul. You see, sin, death, and the devil are gunning for you. The devil himself um, is prowling around, the Bible says, like a fierce lion just seeking somebody to eat up. Satan and his demonic forces, his demonic armies are, are waging war. And you might be thinking, now, preacher, look, I, I ain't looking for a fight. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I ain't looking for a fight. Here's what you need to understand this morning. The fight is looking for you. And with that in mind, God, through Apostle Paul, hits us with a barrage of urgent imperatives, things that we must do for the fight at hand as we come to the close of our walk through 1 Timothy in this series that we've called Diagnosis Healthy Church. And as we look at the text, the imperative that rises to the top is this imperative, fight, fight, not one another, right? We, Christians do enough of that, right? Not one another. Don't fight one another. I'm talking about fight the good fight of the faith. Now, let's just get real for a moment. Some of you guys have walked in here today, and you're not ready for the fight. In fact, you've already surrendered. You've come in actually waving your white flag. Now, I'm not talking about the flag of surrender to God, because that's always good to be surrendered to God, to raise our white flag to God. I'm not talking about that. That's always good. What I'm talking about is that you've come in waving your white flag of surrender to the culture. You've surrendered to the culture. Or you've surrendered to the flesh. Or you've surrendered, and you don't even know it, to the ways of 
Satan. And that's always, all of those things are always bad. In 1779, during the American Revolutionary War, Captain John Paul Jones and the Patriots, they were engaging the British enemy off the coast of England, the British Navy off the coast of England. And, 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 and when the enemy captain asked Captain Jones, was he ready to surrender his ship, he famously replied, I have not yet begun to fight. Right? Meaning, dude, there's no way we're surrendering because the fight is just starting. And as we come to the close of the series on church health, healthy churches understand this. They understand that there is a battle raging around them and they call men and women into the good fight of the faith. That's the spirit with which we close out 1 Timothy. So I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to begin in the 11th verse. Read down to the 16th and then jump down to the 20th and read on. Here's what the Word of God says. Instruction for you and me in this battle. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives full life to all things and of Christ Jesus who, is his, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from a reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And then skip down to verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Thus ends the reading of the word of God. Let's pray together. God, we come to you today as we come to the end of this book here. And I pray that you would meet us right where we are. We may not be looking for a fight, but the fight is looking for us. It's coming at us. And so help us today, God, to be equipped to go out and, and, and to battle. God, I want to pray for the men and women of God that they would persevere, that they would stand strong, that they would fight the good fight of the faith. But I also want to pray for the men and women here today, boys and girls who have not yet turned and trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. They need Jesus more than the air that they are breathing right now. And so just in the name of Jesus, God, would you send your Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin, to call them from death to life, to call them out of their sin, that they might turn from that sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, work in our midst today, we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So, if you're taking notes, here's today's truth that we're going to take away from this text, and it's simply this, is that healthy churches call men and women to fight the good fight of the faith. That's what we're to do. And so this is what this is. This is a call to arms, so to speak, okay? 
But how do you do that? You say, well, okay, Ben, I hear you say fight the good fight of the faith, but how do we do that? And our text here gives us a four-step plan that can be summarized in these four verbs. Flee, pursue, grasp, and guard. Flee, pursue, grasp, and guard. And so we're going to look at each one of those here for just a moment as we work down through this text. First this morning, guys, if you're going to fight the good fight of the faith, then there are some things that you have to flee. That's the first thing this morning. There are some things that you have to flee. It's not always the coward that runs, amen? It's not always the coward that runs. Oftentimes, it's the wise man that runs, like Joseph. Think about Joseph in the book of Genesis there. When Potiphar's wife grabbed him by his clothing and said, please come lie with me, and she was dragging him to the bed. And what did he do? He did a, one of those linemen like, hi-ya, and ripped her hands away. She even tore some of his clothing. But what did he do? He didn't stand there. He didn't sit there. He didn't lie there. He ran. And that's oftentimes what the wise man does. He ran like crazy to get away from the temptation. And here, Paul says to Timothy, and to us here in verse 11, but as for you, O man of God, Flee these things. Run. That's what he's saying. Run. Now, in the immediate context of the preceding verses, he's particularly talking about fleeing the love of money. He's talking about false doctrine, right? Run from false doctrine. Run from pointless controversies, these things that, listen, guys, hear me very carefully here. Pointless controversies. Here's what they do. We have to be careful of this. They get our mind off the ministry of Jesus Christ. And they, they get our, all of our energy, gets all worked up about things that in the end are, 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 as it says here, pointless controversies. Like they really have nothing. If we settle it, 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 it gets nobody anywhere. We have to be careful that we're not spending our energy in pointless controversies. And then he, he doubles down on fleeing these things, down in verse 20 and 21. Look at verse 20 and 21 with me. It says, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And so there it is again. Don't get caught up in these controversies. Don't listen to that babble, to that dude just running his mouth about things that don't matter. Because here's the deal. He says it in verse 21. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. And, 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 and for me, when I, when I just visually, when I read swerved from the faith, I, I just picture somebody driving their car and that deer out in front of them and they, they swerve to miss the deer. And what do they hit instead? They hit a tree. And that, that's what he's talking about here. Like, like they have made a wreck of their faith because they've swerved from the faith. These things have caused them to swerve from the faith. So we're to flee these things. Now, as we look across Scripture, these are not the only things that we are explicitly called to flee from. For instance, 1 Corinthians 6.18, we're told to flee from sexual immorality. And that covers an, a multitude of things. We're not going to explicitly call all of those out, but just know sexual immorality, period. <laughs> we are to flee from these things, run like crazy from those things. 1 Corinthians 10.14. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, we're told to flee from 
idolatry. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So we're to flee from sexual morality. We're to flee from idolatry. Now, a definition of idolatry is this, loving anything more than God. Anything that you love more than God, even good things, maybe your family, maybe your job. Um, we, when we hear idolatry, we think of anything, like we think of totem poles and, and statues of, of, of different things and different people. No, no, no. Idolatry is much bigger than that. It's anything in your heart that you love more than God. That's idolatry. We're to flee idolatry. And then 2 Timothy 2.22, we're told, so flee youthful passions. So sexual morality, idolatry, youthful passions on top of these things. And you say, Ben, that's a lot of running. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't like to run. I don't. I don't like to run, but that's a lot of running. But here's what you need to understand this morning. It's crucially important that you do so. It's like these things are not to be messed with. It's like coming face to face with that grizzly bear who has just come out of hibernation. He is hungry. He's mad. He's ready to devour anything in his path. And if you come across a grizzly bear coming out of hibernation, you don't try to get as close to it as you can, right? No, no, no. You get as far away from it as you can. You don't try to tame it. You flee from it. Get as far away as possible or you stand and try to kill it. But whatever you do, beloved, you don't pet it. You don't play with it. That makes total sense with wild animals, right? The same thing is true for fire. How many of you guys have been told if you play with fire, you're going to get what? Burned. That's what's going to happen. Some of you have experienced it. I don't know what it is about a fire, you pyromaniacs, that, that, that cause people to want to play with it. Right? If, if I put a fire in my backyard in our fire pit, it's like the kids, it's like a magnet. They're like malls to a light to play in the fire. But if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. As you think about battles and war, when the federal troops occupied Chirol, South Carolina, during the Civil War, they found this huge stockpile of Confederate gunpowder that had been left behind when the Confederates retreated. And the Union troops, they couldn't take it all with them, and so they decided to dump the big stockpile in this dry creek bed. And so they dumped it there, but while at camp, some of the Union troops, they got bored. And so they decided, what are we going to do to kind of pass the time? We need some entertainment. And so one of the, the bright ones in the bunch got the idea to go get a handful of that gunpowder and to go throw it in his campfire. Now, if you've ever thrown a little bit of gunpowder in a fire, it goes boom, right? You get a flash and, and all the union guys were <laughs> laughing and cracking up. And they're like, dude, that's a great idea. Let me go get some myself. And so several men started to go get handfuls of gunpowder and to bring it back. But here's the deal. If you've ever watched Bugs Bunny, when you take gunpowder and carry it, oftentimes it leaves a trail of gunpowder behind you. It always happened every time, right? Yosemite Sam, all right? And so they would take this gunpowder and throw it in there. There's boom here, flash there, and all that stuff. But then, but then, with each one, they grew more careless. And before long, there was this crisscrossing trail 
of gunpowder running back to the ravine from these campfires. And Sergeant Theodore Upson of the 100th Indiana, he had just started his coffee boiling when he saw a flash of gunpowder running along the ground. And a moment later, he noticed that they had multiplied. And they were kind of running in all directions. And then somebody, somebody yelled, look out for the magazine, which in army terms means watch out for the gunpowder pile that's in that ravine. All of a sudden, they started running every which way, putting as much space between themselves and the creek bed as possible. And here's what Upson recorded. He said, then there was a tremendous explosion. The dirt and stones flew in every direction. The ground shook for miles. The force of the blast destroyed several homes and shattered nearly every window in town. A storm of shell and shrapnel rained down for a half mile in every direction. One officer and three enlisted men were killed as a result of the blast, and more than a dozen were wounded. And uh, General Sherman, who was overseeing that part right there, rumor had it that he first believed that it was, that it was an act of sabotage from the Confederates, that the townsmen had, had done it on purpose to try to wound the Union soldiers. And so he was on the verge of issuing an order to destroy the city and to execute the mayor until he learned that it was the carelessness of his own men that had caused the devastation. You see, guys, when you play with fire, you're going to get burned. So, beloved, they're not to be messed with. These things that, that Apostle Paul is talking about here, they're not to be messed with. If you're going to fight the good fight of the faith, there are some things that you have to flee from. And, and what are those things? Well, God knows what you're being drawn to, these things that you're attracted to, like the, like the siren's song from the Greek mythology that is calling and singing to sailors that they might make a shipwreck on the rocks. What are those siren songs that are calling you and drawing you that you should flee from? Is it bitterness and unforgiveness? Is this sexual morality, right? Maybe it's in the form of, of, of pornography. Sexual morality in the form of pornography. Is it being a lover of money? Is it loving gossip and controversy? That, that All that stuff, those juicy tidbits that you read on social media or that you see uh, headlined and advertised there in the checkout lines at, at the Kroger. I don't know what it is, right? I don't, I don't know what it is for you. But here's what you need to understand. All of these things, they attack your spirit. They quench the Holy Spirit inside of you. They draw you away from God and they harden your heart toward God. These things, beloved, are spiritual death. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would show us, specifically this morning, what you need to flee from what are those things that are drawing you away from God that are quenching the spirit of God in you what are those things you need to flee from those things that your faith may live and live to the fullest if you're going to do that you have to fight by fleeing second this morning if you're going to fight the good fight of the faith then number two here is that there are some things that you have to pursue there are some things you got to flee, but there are some things that you have to pursue. You see, you don't just turn from things. 
you turn to certain things. And our text here is clear what those things are. You see them right here in verse 11 again. But as for you, O man of God, skip forward just a little bit. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Now, righteousness and godliness, they sort of cover this horizontal, vertical relationships of the Christian life, right? They are the external, moral aspects of a life that shows that you love God and you love neighbor. These are the things we're to pursue, right? Love God, love neighbor. Faith and love, then, the next in the list here, they're, they're sort of the, etern- uh, the internal aspects of the Christian life. In other words, pursuing faith here is pursuing the belief that God will do all that he has said he will do. That's what pursuing faith is. Pursuing faith is, is believing that God will do what he said he will do. And, and all of the things that come with that. Believing that God is who he says he is as well. And then love. Well, love is the motivation for all that we do. It's that internal, it's that internal affection for people that motivates us as God says. You know, God is love. And so to love is to be godly. And then he throws in, lastly here, steadfastness and gentleness. And guys, these are the ways that you and I have to engage in the Christian life. Although we hit bumps in the road, although we, we, we come across roadblocks that have to detour us, we never give up. We keep on keeping on. But we do all of this with gentleness, he says. Gentleness. It's that strength under control. It's that tender quality of patient self-control in dealing with the world around you. These are the things, he says here, that you and I are to pursue. Now, as you look at that list, if you look at that list, it probably should look kind of familiar to you because it's very similar to the list that we see in Galatians chapter 5 with what the, the passage that we typically call the fruit of the Spirit, all right? Galatians 5, through 25. Here's what that passage says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then check this out, verse 25. This brings 1 Timothy 6 and this passage together. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That last line there. Keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says in 1, Corinthians, or in 1 Timothy 6, to pursue, to pursue these fruit. And here we're told to keep in step with the Spirit. That means that we're to pursue all of these things through the power of the Holy Spirit, by keeping in step with the Spirit. You and I, we don't do this on our own strength. We do it by the Holy Spirit's strength. We do it by pursuing the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. How do you do that? Let me give you three W's, three W's to help you to keep in step with the Spirit. The first one is the word, right? The word. If you want to keep in step with the Spirit, if you want to know where the Spirit is, the Word of God will tell you. 
The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, the Bible says. Right? The Bible is the sword of the Spirit, and so it's what God uses. All right? The Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It comes straight from God. So if you want to be in step with the Spirit, you open up His Word to find out where the Spirit is, how the Spirit's walking, which direction the Spirit's going, that you can walk in step. But the second W, the second W is worship. Word and then worship. The Bible tells us that God inhabits the praise of his people. One of the ways that you and I battle is to praise God, right? That's one of the ways spiritually we fight. This past Sunday, Christy and I and the family went down to Nashville for the SEND conference of the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board. And on Sunday, Michael W. Smith was there and, and led us in a time of worship. And then David Crowder got up later, which was, it was just an amazing night as far as it goes musically. But one of the, just the little choruses that we sing, and I don't even know if this is a Michael W. Smith song, but he sang this song. This is how I fight my battles. And he just repeated that over. And we're like, we're just jamming to it. And what he's saying there is that worship is one of the ways that you fight the good fight of the faith, man. Right? Sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. These are the ways that we fight spiritually through worship. And then the third one is work. Word, worship, and work. When you serve God, the Spirit is there. If you want to know where the Spirit is, it's in the service of God. How many of you guys have found out when you're serving God, you leave happy and fulfilled? You're tired, but you're glad in God. Amen? That's because the Spirit's there with you. So if you want to stay in step with the Spirit, find a place to serve God. Find a place to make a difference for God. And that's how you do it. That's how you stay in step with the Spirit. Word, worship, and work. So as you flee from some things, you pursue some other things, namely the things of the Spirit. If we're going to summarize that one up, pursue the things of the Spirit. Third, as we walk in our text here, if you're going to fight the good fight of the faith, then three, there are some things that you have to grasp. Flee, pursue, and then grasp. Look at verse 12 with me. The Bible says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession, the presence of many witnesses. You see, as he says, take hold of eternal life here, he's not talking about the future. He's not talking about when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. He's talking about now, y'all. He's talking about where heaven is breaking in, when that resurrection power is breaking in on you and me. He's talking about now. Take hold of your eternal life now. You see, we're not waiting on the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Some of you would say, if I were to ask you, what is your favorite ology to study in theology? A lot of you guys would say, well, eschatology, the study of end times, is my favorite ology to study in theology. And that's great, but here's the thing you need to understand. Here is the key to biblical eschatology, and it's this. The kingdom of God is not just future. The kingdom of God is now. See, it broke in. It was inaugurated when Jesus Christ came in his first 
Advent. The kingdom of God is here. Now, there's more to come. It's kind of like that train where the engine is at the station and the caboose is coming, right? It's coming. It hadn't got here yet, but the engine's here, and so the train is here. The kingdom of God is here, and so we don't have to wait. We can lay hold of that kingdom life right now and live life to the fullest in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said he came to do in John 10.10. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In other words, I came that they may have life and have it to the fullest. And that's what we've got to grasp, this fullness of life that is found in Christ Jesus. And in order to do that, that means we've got to grasp two things. I want to challenge you to grasp two things. One is to grasp your freedom in Christ. Your freedom in Christ. Paul told us in Galatians 5.1. He said, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, we know that the Bible tells us that sin enslaves us, right? And so if you want to be the freest person you can be, if you, want to be the freest, if you want to be the freest that a person can be, then that means that, you, that sin has no hold on you, right? Let's get theological again for a minute here. A proper understanding of, of freedom, biblical freedom, is not the ability to do otherwise, all right? It's not just the ability to say, I can do this or I can do that. That's actually not biblical freedom. Because there are some things that the Bible says God cannot do, and yet the Bible also says that he is the freest being in the universe. For instance, God cannot sin. And so when we understand a biblical definition of freedom, we have to understand it from God's perspective. And it's this, as that the definition of freedom is the, 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 the freedom of from sin. And that's when you're the freest. It's not that you can sin or you cannot sin. It's in the end, like God, when you're made not able to sin. And so if you want to be free in Christ, <laughs> run from sin, right? Live your life in holiness to God. And that's where you're going to experience, that's where you're going to grasp that freedom. But actually here in Galatians 5, he's not actually talking about sin when he talks about that yoke of slavery, Here's what he's actually talking about. He's actually talking about living your life, trying to find your righteousness by the law of God. That's what he's talking about here, the law of God. It's like taking those Ten Commandments, and the way that you, that you, that you take on the yoke of slavery is to try to earn your way to heaven by climbing up. And you've heard me use this illustration before. The the Ten Commandments is not a ladder to climb to heaven. They are a measuring stick to show you that you have fallen short. And when you understand that, when you finally grasp that, then guess what? You are free in Christ because Christ earned all of your righteousness for you. 
Man, climbing ladders is tough, right? You guys ever notice that those cell phone towers you just drive down the road? Like, there's a big one that I, that I often pass. It's really close to the road on the way uh, down Plano Road, like uh, actually over into Allen County, or, uh, Simpson County right there. There's a big one right there that I pass sometimes when I go to Gold City. And one of the things that you don't often notice, but I notice it because I think about who in the world goes to the top to change that light bulb that's up there flashing. I think about things like this. <laughs> you ever notice that there's a ladder that goes to the very top of that thing. Some crazy person, <laughs> they have to be crazy, a little bit at least, attaches themselves to that ladder and climbs all the way to the top of that thing. Now, climbing a few steps, not that bad. You climb hundreds of steps. Think about how hard that is to get to the top. That's work. And oftentimes, we don't grasp our freedom in Christ because we're too busy trying to climb and work our way to heaven. But in the end, guys, it's miserable. It's so hard. It's no fun. And, 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 and the law of God becomes, it becomes a, a drudgery of good works. But the Bible says that you and I are to have joy in our good works. And we do that when we're free in Christ, all right? The good works that you and I do, it's a I get to mindset instead of an I have to mindset. So you get to do for God because God has set you free. Second, if you're going to grasp, here's some things you have to grasp. If you're going to experience the fullness that Jesus has for you, secondly, you have to grasp the newness of life that is found in Jesus. Grasp the newness of life that's found in Jesus. Jesus. It's this resurrection power, right? Look at Romans 6, 1 and 4, 1 through 4. Here's what it says. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? We have freedom in Christ. Our righteousness is not based on us. It's based on Jesus Christ and his finished works and our faith in that. So he says, well, does that mean then that we can sin so that grace may abound? And he says, verse 2, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ, listen to this, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That same power, as Jeremy Kemp said, that, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That you and I might walk in the newness of life that he has for us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen to me, Eastwood. It's time for you to really be the new you. The things that used to define you, the things that used to confine you, no longer do. The things that you used to find your identity in have been replaced by identity in Christ. The, the things that God hated but you loved, you now agree with God. And you hate them too. You hate the things that God hates and you love the things that God loves. It's time for you to do the new 
you and walk in the newness of life. Again, we're walking in that resurrection power here. And never turn back. Apostle Peter, he compares turning back. And we've all had that experience, right? Where we're walking in that newness of life. And then the old life, you turn around and say, you know what, that old stuff I used to do, I'm going to go try that again. I'm going to go take a, a step back and I'm going to experience what I used to do and what I used to be. And the Apostle Peter says, that's like a dog returning to its own vomit. And for a dog, that's no problem at all, man. I got a beagle hound, man. That, that girl will eat anything, I'm telling you. I ain't going to mention all the things she eats. But that's what dogs do. That's not us, right? We are resurrected, regenerated, spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ. And we will never, ever desire that vomit again if we will grasp what God has for us in Jesus Christ. We will never desire to turn back. We have to grasp our freedom in Christ and the newness of life that is in Christ Jesus. And finally, this morning, if you're going to fight the good fight of the faith, here's what Apostle Paul tells us here. Fourth is that there are some things that, that you have to guard. You got to flee, you got to pursue, you got to grasp, and you got to guard. There are some things you have to guard. 1 Timothy 6.20. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Now, what is that deposit? Well, most likely, he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that you are a sinner who can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. For every person who will turn from sin and trust in Jesus, that is the deposit that has been entrusted to Timothy, Pastor Timothy here, and to you and me. I used to work at Kroger, and I mentioned that a couple weeks ago, I think, but you know, one of the things I still remember is when Kroger had to make a deposit, they didn't take the deposit themselves down to the bank. They called a company to come get it. And you've probably seen this before where maybe outside of a bank or outside of a business, there's that big old armored car. And they would pull up with that big truck, look like an impenetrable fortress, right, as it pulled up there. And out jumped these two guys and they were in uniforms and, and they had guns. Sometimes one of them even carried a shotgun. And they had bags that were secure. And they would walk into that business and they would say, let us have your deposit. And we'll make sure that it gets delivered to the bank. And vice versa. The bank has this money you've asked for. We're making sure that it's delivered into your hands safely and securely. That's what you and I are to do here. To guard this deposit. Listen, the, the, the protection of the gospel's way more serious than some company's bottom dollar. So we've got to take this seriously because the gospel is the hope of the world. And here's what the enemy tries to do, y'all. He's always trying to tear off little pieces of it. He's trying to twist it. He's trying to water it down. He's trying to make it ineffective or for us to, 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 to preach anything else but the good news of Jesus Christ. So we've got to guard it. How do you guard it? Well, that means two things. That means you proclaim it. <laughs> right? You preach it, you proclaim it. I mean, what good is the gospel if we don't preach it? And then secondly, what good is the gospel if it's not protected? 
you and I have to engage in the preaching and the protection of the gospel. That means that we have to sometimes stand and say, that is a false gospel, right? We've got to engage. We've got to do both, right? We've got to walk and chew gum. Some will say, man, don't get worried about all of those false gospels. Just preach the gospel. But here's the deal. We, if we want to protect the gospel, if we want to guard the deposit, we've got to stand up and say, that is not the gospel. This is we got to do both proclaim and protect. These are the things that you and I have to do if we're going to fight the good fight of the faith. And so this morning, church, God, through Paul, through now me, is calling you to arms, calling you to the fight here. But here's the deal. The last thing I want to say to you this morning is this. Fight the good fight in faith that your deliverer is coming soon. Don't miss that in the text, right? He's called us to fight. He's called us to engage in the fight, but he's going to come and finish it. Look at verse 13 through 16. 13 through 16. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who, is his te- who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made, rep- uh, made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the, listen, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That's who's coming. To deliver you in the battle. This is the reinforcements that are coming as you and I fight. Our hope is ultimately not in our ability to stand and fight, but in our rescuer who is coming. Historically, maybe one of the battles that you think about is the battle of the Alamo. Remember the cry. Remember the Alamo. 1836. Jim Bowie was supposed to evacuate the Alamo. He was not supposed to be there to fight. He was told to take all of the, 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 the resources and all the people and evacuate and get out of town because the Mexican military was coming. But Jim Bowie said, I can't evacuate because I don't have the mules to take the cannons away with us. And so all of our arms and artillery will be left to the Mexican army. And so he said... We're not going to evacuate. We're going to stand and fight. We're going to guard the Alamo, defend the Alamo. And if you've been to the Alamo, it's really small. Um, But actually, back in those days, the, the, the compound of the Alamo was much bigger. And so the Mexican army began to lay siege. Bowie actually got sick. Jim, you know, Jim Bowie actually got sick with tuberculosis, and he couldn't even fight. He had to be sent to his quarters, and so William Travis took over, and somehow they got word out to their, to, 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 to their, to their armies. Send reinforcements. We need help. Come. Because like 6,000 Mexican troops had surrounded the Alamo, and inside the Alamo were only like 200 people defending it. They waited and they fought. For 15 days, the Mexican army laid siege. But guess what? 
If you know history, the reinforcements never came. Never came. And every person, all 200 and something in that compound there, in the Alamo, died except for three people. You need to understand this morning, when God called you to fight, this is not an Alamo moment. God will not leave you stranded. He has promised to send the armies of heaven at his appearing. I don't know when it's going to be, but when he comes, victory is ours. But until then, he calls us to stand and to fight and to hope in our deliverer who is coming. Eastwood, again, you may not be looking for a fight, but the fight has come looking for you. And it's time for you to stand. It's time for you to fight. You might say, well, now, preacher, I'm more of a lover, not a fighter. Here's my final prayer as the praise team comes. May Eastwood be full of lovers of the faith. And if you're a lover of the faith, then you must be a fighter for Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is, the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.